Hello and welcome to the JazzNet podcast, where finally we have a domestic victory to speak about. Um, Rangers beat Ross County 1-0 in Dingwall today. Ryan Kent's second half goal, scoring all three points and finally putting half a smile on some of our faces. Um, we'll cover the game as well as much more tonight um, from what has proved to be another dramatic week at Highbrook. made for fans, by fans and where the content is absolutely free. Don't forget if you're enjoying the podcast please subscribe and if you're looking to catch up on any previous shows or if you want to download tonight's show um, it's available on all the usual platforms like iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Acast, Castbox or Stitcher. I'm your host for this evening David Wren and joining me tonight are Colin Armstrong and Stuart Weir as we dissect another week and what has proved to be a very difficult start to 2020. Colin, are you a bit less depressed tonight than you were through the week? Uh, a wee bit. Uh, I mean, it wasn't a great performance, but, you know, we, we got the three points and I suppose that's the main thing and maybe get a wee bit more confidence going into Thursday's game against Leverkusen, but aye, a lot to to sort of look at today and think, well, it just doesn't look great, you know, look like a team uh, devoid of confidence at the moment. Stuart, you enjoyed the game so much. Uh, you watched it twice, so you must have been <laughs> quite impressed. I was, well, I, I was I was impressed uh, by uh, Glenn Kamara's spin turn uh, in the in the, the first half, uh, and little else in the first half. Um, and you know, as I've just said there, I think the the biggest thing for Rangers was to actually get three points. Um, given the the week or fortnight or couple of months that they've had, um, three points at Ross County will never be, uh, you know, typed into the history annals or appear in a stone tablet somewhere. But it was quite important for them, if only just to you know save our, a a victory again before what is going to be an important midweek. Can I point out, David, that I would have watched the game again today uh, before we move on, but I was out panic buying toilet roll and hand sanitizer today. Yes, yes. I've not actually taken a taken a, a part out in the agenda for coronavirus, but if you want to discuss it, um, I believe there's been enough coverage this week, so we certainly can. I, I thought you'd have just been cutting up newspapers because I think that's the only thing you would find newspapers good for. Well, I will probably get into that. I did see one good thing on Twitter last night where a guy, he'll remain nameless, but he, he appeared to be genuinely asking the question if he could use the cardboard tube in the absence, in the absence of no toilet paper. And when I say to him, what did you do? He just said, uh, I don't want to talk about it. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming he went down the towel route and his wife's not very happy, but maybe that's why people are panic buying it. I don't know. Well, anyway, we'll, we'll get back on to the... The game today and as I said off air Colin I, I didn't find it as, 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 as dreadful as I think some did um, and I would take victories like that every day of the week if it was normal circumstances I think to go up and grind out a victory like that is, is always good but obviously in context and all that um, 
you know, it's a, it's been a difficult few weeks. But what, what, in your opinion, were I suppose positive aspects? Whether that would be the way we play as a team or, or any individuals. Well, the obvious positive, I think, David's a result. You know, given what happened on Wednesday against Hamilton and last week. You know, we needed a result. As I said earlier on, we look a team sort of struggling for confidence at the moment. So they needed they needed a victory and, and, and they've got that. In terms of any other positives, a, a game came to my mind today. When, when you're talking about the context of the game, a game came to my mind today. I think it was the last time we won the league. It was when Walter Smith was in charge. I'm sure it was his last season. We played Hamilton at Hamilton. And it was around about this time, it was around about March, April, when we were right in the fight for the title. And it was a horrible game and a horrible performance. And we won one nothing. I think, I think uh, Jelovic scored the free kick. You know, so you just, in, in the context of that, when you're fighting for a title, you just get in, get out, get the job done and get away. But when we're turning up today on the back of two really bad results, uh, on the back of a, a, a run of form over the last six and a half weeks, it's pretty much ended our, our title hopes. You know, that's the context in which the players are playing. So therefore, it makes it maybe look worse than it actually it actually was. Uh, I thought I thought Aribo played pretty well today. Uh, I thought Barisic wasn't he? He's, I think he's really struggled since he came back. I didn't think he was too bad. Camberry looked lively when he came on. And even Ryan Kent, I know he's taken a lot of stick and he deserves it, you know, a bit of criticism, especially when you consider the fee that's sort of involved with Ryan Kent. But one thing I will say about Ryan Kent is he never hides. He always looks for the ball. His decision-making is a wee bit all over the place at the moment and he's making some uh, bad decisions in terms of what he's doing and when he's doing it, but he never hides. So in, in, in that respect, you would sort of say he was maybe a positive today, but I mean, it was it was just a bad performance, but every team has a bad performance, but we're in a bad run, so it maybe gets highlighted a wee bit more. But we've got the result of, you know, we've, we've put that sort of, in terms of results anyway, we've put that sort of bad run to, to bed. Got a big game on Thursday night to look forward to. So that's that's all you can take from it, really. We, we, we take it and move on. Um, Stuart, obviously it has been a it's been a difficult run for the team. Do you think there was a, an element of character they had to show today? And do you think they, they, they managed to show that, you know, to, to get to get three points in what is a, a difficult a difficult place, especially off that run of form? Yeah, I, I, before we come on air, I'd said that sometimes, you know, um, there's a, a, a saying, there is nothing to fear except fear itself. And I just thought, you know, given the results and the outcomes in the last couple of weeks, I thought there were a lot of Rangers players that played within themselves without trying too much, just in case it didn't come off, just in case they found themselves being criticised again for losing a goal or losing a game that really, given the possession that they had, they sh- you know, it, sh- it should never have been a, a, a close run thing. Um, uh, it put me in mind, in mind of a, a game good, well, way, way back to um, to Graham Soonis's first uh, season in charge. And just what you mentioned there about, uh, about Ryan Kent not hiding and always, well, always looking for the, the ball. There was a game that Rangers played, it was a New Year game against Celtic and Rangers had made a dreadful start that season uh, and still hadn't caught Celtic by New Year. In fact, I don't think they, they caught them until the end of February or March that season. Um, and it was a game where Graeme Souness um, 
basically just decided that David Cooper was going to be his man and everything went through Cooper. And soon as his words um, to David Cooper that day was, you're the winger, make something effing happen. And I think that Rangers, the longer the game went today, the more it became apparent that Ryan Kent was a guy that was either going to create something or maybe even score, and ultimately he did score. But I thought Rangers played more and more through him and I, and I think his confidence sort of rose a bit more as the game went on, simply because he was seeing a bit more of the ball and seeing it in positions that he wanted to be in rather than having to go and chase the ball. So I think that was maybe a positive. A clean sheet was a, a positive as well. And I also think the, the only, they, they got a clean sheet by the guy who has been continuing to perform all season and has proven to be, you know, for a second successive season, uh, an inspired uh, purchase to bring him back to Ibrox, and that was Alan McGregor. The save that he made when it was nil-nil was, you know, crucial. It meant that Rangers didn't have to go and chase the game. Uh, I've said all along this season and maybe for the last two seasons, Rangers are a different team when they're either, you know, there's parity in the game or they get a goal in front. And I think even today you saw when they went a goal up that the game slightly opened up and it suited Rangers more. But they, they, they can ill afford to go a goal behind. And I think, you know, again, the reason that they, they weren't a goal behind was thanks to Alan McGregor. So few positives other than a clean sheet, other than one or two um, uh, guys that turned in a, a, in a shift. But ultimately three points for Rangers is, is what they were looking for. Um, Colin, I mentioned off air, Jory Bo's been a player that recently I think impressed me. I think he's starting to grow into the, the jersey a wee bit. I thought today he got stuck in a bit and he, he's very composed on the on the ball as well. Um, and I just think he gives us a bit of a bit of sort of digging energy in the in the midfield and, and possibly some more lacking at the moment. Is that have you been impressed with him or has there been anyone else in particular? During, even during this run that's shown a bit of bit of character and, and has, has been a positive light and what has been a sort of disappointing run for the team. Yeah, I think Rebo's probably the obvious one. Uh, I also think before he went out injured, Scott Arfield was doing a job for Rangers. He seemed to be one that was uh, you know, prepared to put in the work and all the rest of it, making a lot happen, but obviously he's injured. He got injured last week, I think. So, yeah, I would say Rebo is the, 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 the sort of main one at the moment. There was one or two performances there. I mean, I I think Stuart makes a good point that, you know, Rangers were trying to play through Ryan Kent. I think he was coming off at one point, and I think Gerard saw that we were maybe starting to get a bit of joy with him, so changed the substitution at the last minute. But I think Aribo, I mean, he, he had a, a, a disastrous old firm game at Ibrox back in September. Had a good start to his Rangers career and then sort of fell out after that game. But I think we've seen signs all through the season that Joe Aribo's a really, really good player. His performance at Celtic Park when we won on the 29th was 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 impressive his goal obviously a few weeks ago a couple of weeks back against Braga so it's, I think there's always been signs there that, that we've got a good player in Aribo uh, and during this period I think you're right at a time when a lot of players including some of our so-called leaders seem to be hiding uh, he's always prepared to take the ball he's always prepared to put in a shift uh, and try and make things happen and that's what you need you know it's, it sounds like you know, a bit cliched and uh, all the rest of it, but these guys make a difference in a team. You know what I mean? We all saw the footage yesterday 
uh, James Milner during the warm up, the warm up before the Liverpool game. You know what I mean? And I've, I've seen some people saying, "Oh, so what? He's in, he's in that circle with the team warming up, you know, encouraging them all and talking to them all and talking about the game plan." Folks saying, "Well, you know, a captain's an overrated job. It's not really a job anymore." Well, I think it is. These are the things your captain's there to be right on top of people when they're not performing. You know what I mean? And and I just think as things have got a bit more difficult for Rangers over the last few weeks. The, the people that it seems to me that Gerard seems to look at as leaders and I don't think Gerard's blameless and all of this I, th- I think he's I feel from I think a lot of people have let him down but he's not blameless and, and one of the things I think he could be questioned on is identifying leaders in that direction because I think the ones who he has identified are maybe questionable on that front I don't see anyone doing what James Milner was doing yesterday you know talking to all his teammates, telling them this is what we're here to do and get right in about them. He, he wasn't even captain yesterday. It was Van Dyke that was captain. So leaders matter and you need big players to step up. And uh, and I think Aribo's done that. You know, he's not hid away. I would, I would argue that Ryan Kent, as I said earlier on, I think he's done the same. He's just out of form. And he's not playing well, but he, he hasn't hiding. You know, he's demanding the ball and he's looking for the ball. Uh, whereas some of your other leaders... I don't think they're doing that. Uh, but Aribo, yeah, certainly. He seems to me, during this whole period, someone that's saying, give me the ball, you know, I'll try and make something happen. Um, Stuart, Gary, Gary McAllister was on, was on post-match duties today. But do you think that Gerard and, and the, that long bus home from, from Dingwall would have been uh, breathing a sigh of relief? Or do you think he'd have been more worrying about the, about the next couple of games? I think he'd be um, uh, the next couple of matches would be a consideration. I don't think it's it would be all consuming. You know, I think getting into the game today, he would know the importance of Rangers winning that match. Something to you know to say that they're getting in. Maybe maybe losing a bit of a kind of scrutiny or or magnifying glass that they'd be under getting into a, a European tie and then a, an old firm derby. So I think. To that extent, the result was everything that he wanted. Um, just just touching on the point that, that Colin made there about the about leadership, you know, it's it's easy to go back in time and say, well, look at this Rangers team and look at that Rangers team, and I might have been guilty of saying, you know, one or two things along those lines myself. But the fact is that, that you are you're looking for at least one leader in there. Now, you could say Alan McGregor is that leader, but I've never thought a goalkeeper is a, you know, particularly good as, 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 as a captain. He, he only gets to speak to certain players when they come back to defend corners, and I think their concentration is elsewhere at that particular time. So you're looking for somebody to step up and say, oh, you're, you're captain material. Doesn't necessarily need to be a best player. Doesn't necessarily need to be in a in a certain position. You're just looking for somebody to cajole and coax and coach players uh, on the pitch. You know, and you know what Colin was saying there uh, about the Liverpool game. That's exactly what you saw from from Milner. I mean, this is the same guy who a couple of weeks back when he was given time off, still turned up midweek to go and watch the team, even though he wasn't supposed to be there. And you just I just don't think there's anybody within that Rangers team has that kind of, you know, that kind of personality. And, and you know, time's gone by. We have we have seen guys captain Rangers and 
being critical of them at different times. But ultimately, you know, even even the kind of worst captains over a, a long period of time would still be more inspiring, I think, than some of the guys that have actually taken up the armband in the last couple of years. So I still think that's a problem that Steven Gerrard, he's, he's not going out to sign somebody. Let's be honest, you're not going out to sign somebody just for their, uh, you know, their captaincy. Um, that, that, you know, that's something that doesn't happen in football. You know, different maybe they like to say, you know, cricket or something like that, where you're, you're looking for somebody's on-field experience. It doesn't happen in football. It needs to be somebody who contributes as well. And again, you're just looking for a level of consistency for somebody who's ca- you know, carrying the captain's armband to say, look what I'm doing, you do the same. And I think Stephen Gerrard has been let down on a number of fronts um, during the course of this season when it's come to guys actually leading the team on the pitch? I mean, it's, it's not it's not something new, I don't think, to Rangers that this has been lacking, this this leadership role. I think when you look back to when we were down at third division, this this lack of leaders thing has been, late, you know, um, said about teams that have come from the third division. Lee Wallace was questioned as a captain. Probably Lee McCulloch would have been at the time. Lee Wallace certainly was all the way through his captaincy, um, and obviously Tavernier then took over from him, and he's he's now been questioned. But Stuart, is it is it the case that Rangers just haven't had a leader since, um, you know, Davy Weir, for instance? Yeah, but, but, but even even that team, the the even that Rangers team, there were still another. Th- two or three guys in that team, actually maybe even three or four guys in that team that you could have happily planked the captain's armband on and still get a performance out of them. So, you know, again, it's difficult. It's difficult for guys in that team just now when they're struggling for form to take the captaincy role when immediately you're, you're, you're put under the spotlight because you are the Rangers captain and you therefore need to perform in a certain way or, or give guidance or leadership in a certain way. And I think I think some guys might have shirked that responsibility simply because they, they have to try and concentrate on their, their own game first. My problem or my issue would be that there simply, are, there simply isn't enough guys in that team that would merit being, you know, called up as the captain. There's not enough leaders in that team, and I've I've said it for a good few years. There are too many guys that think if you kick an opponent or you know, cl- pat the badge in your your chest or or get stuck in a, a, about somebody, you know, and give away a foul, that's the that's showing leadership. No, it's actually that's not that's not what leadership's about as a captain. And uh, again. Even even looking at the Rangers fans, I think too many of them have applauded players like that rather than looking at the bigger picture and saying, actually, what has he contributed? You know, if you if you kick somebody and give away a free kick, you've not contributed to the, the cause or the team. So I, I again it's going to be interesting this this summer in particular, just to see how Steven Gerrard rearranges his squad. And, and who he brings in and who, you know, he may be looking at somebody just now or it might be that he's, he's specifically now going to buy somebody for that role. Colin, David, you, can, you, I, can I come in just, on that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, I, mean, I mean, in terms of leadership, right, all you need to do is look at the, the Rangers Hearts game last week. You know, you've got 
our captain Tavernier, and you've got Naismith for them. Now Naismith was involved in everything. Every time there was a contentious decision, he was at the referee. You know, it was at the heart of the action, literally leading his team. And where was Tav during all this? You know what I mean? And and, and that's that's what it comes down to. You know what I mean? It, it comes down to players that really are out there determined to win at all costs. It's not about, as Stuart says, kicking people and, and, and patting the badge. It's, it's It takes a certain type of player, and I don't think we have that type of player. And, and it, it was exposed last week. It's been exposed in the two games at Tyncastle. Naismith has went out there. I know we all hate him for what he done, and I get that. But he has went out there on both those games and led his team to victory. Do you feel that obviously you you through the week mentioned uh, Tavernier on on Twitter? And I get quite a lot of traction on there. Um, do you think it's fair to single him out as much as it has been? And I don't think it's just been this week. I think it's been a over the past. Uh, probably in his full time at Rangers, or his first season, perhaps that he's well, been constantly targeted by the, you know, whoever. I'm not trying to say that it's, it's unwarranted because I completely understand certain aspects of it, but is it completely justified the amount of scrutiny that he's, he's constantly put under? No, no again, uh, it comes down to this thing, especially when it comes to social media. If you are directly contacting someone and abusing them online, then aye, you're banging out of order. If you're questioning someone in a public forum, like like you know, uh, social media, like Twitter or something like that, then you're entitled to do it. Especially someone who is a captain of Rangers Football Club, right? So I've always looked to captains of Rangers Football Club as being, you know, a particular type of person that 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 will do a job that that needs to be done to get to get the job done. Now you look at some of the ones of the past, you know, Richard Goff, Terry Butcher, all that kind of thing. Yeah, a lot of people questioned Barry Ferguson, was he captain of the TO? And I think when he first came in there was issues and probably wasn't doing the job to the best of his ability. And how his Rangers career ended was a bit of a shambles. See the amount of times during games that Rangers were struggling that he helped us get over that line just by being a leader through his 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 how he was talking to people and encouraging them and maybe even giving them a bollock and, and by his actual own performance, by his own contribution. You know, he is leading people around him to, to get a job done. I don't see that in Tavernier. Now, this is, it's, not, it's nothing personal about him. One, I think he makes too many mistakes for a Rangers captain. You know, it, it goes maybe seven or eight games before he makes a, a calamitous mistake. I can think of four, four, five, six off the top of my head at the moment. So, yeah, that's right. And the, 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 the example I used through the week is he's driving about in a Lamborghini. Now, a lot of people came in and agreed with me when other ones came in and said, well, it's his money. It's up to him what Carrie drives. Of course it is. It's, it is his money. And it, he can drive whatever Carrie wants to drive. However, as a supporter who you know, spends a decent amount of money on two season tickets a year and then money on European games and home shots and all the rest of it, when I'm going home after a really disappointing result, hurting and dreading going into work on the Monday, and I see my captain drive past in a Lamborghini looking like everything's okay in his life, then I think I'm entitled to question what mo- what motivates him as a as a footballer. You know what I mean? Because I think the, the best leaders and all that are very subtle <laughs> on that side of it. 
I think I might have. I think I might have opened up the automotive row last week when I when I basically said that he'd a Lamborghini. And if you look back to the the treble winning team of ninety two ninety three, they all every one of them drove a Honda Accord, probably the exception of Mark Haley. And that was that was because that was the the car of choice, you know, from the sponsors. That, that was that was the club cars at the time. Exactly, yeah. ex- ex- exactly. So, and I, and I, I, you know, I reiterate again what I said last week. There are players there who are showing the the trimmings of success without actually being successful. The the reason is, the success they've had is earning a small fortune out of Rangers for not actually delivering anything on the pitch, and you know. We just touched the point out there about captaincy. The last he, the last season, you know, with, with Walter Smith uh, at the helm, you look at the Rangers team uh, that won the title at, at Kilmarnock. Could McGregor have been captain? Yeah. Weir? Yeah. Probably Papach? Yeah. Whitaker? Yeah. Maybe even Bergera? Davis? So you're talking about, your, if, if you'd stuck in the armband in any of those guys... Even Morris Edu, if you if you like, you stuck the captain's armband in any of those people, nobody would really have batted a, a you know an eyelid, and, I, and that's including a team that had Naismith in it. So, you know, there, there were enough guys in that team to to lead by example, and for others to take note of what was what they were saying. I I just don't see it. Just to you know, I don't want to labour the point, but I just don't see it about this team. Stuart. Just interested to know the, the view on this, but Tavernier, as I said, he's one that, that's constantly spoken about. Um, for good and bad, I think he gets the praise when, when we're doing well because he's he's an important part of that. But when things aren't going so well, he comes in for criticism. Do you think that his time at Rangers is is coming to an end? Yeah, actually, I... I... I, well, listen, I've been thinking that for actually a couple of seasons and, and he's still there. So I, I, I think I think he makes too many um, he makes too many errors, unforced errors, um, you know, when nothing appears to be happening, he will make a, a blunder that has cost Rangers, you know, dearly. And as Colin said, he can count, you know, five or six. I mean, maybe I can't count five or six, but I certainly can count two or three or four that have been have been costly for Rangers. I, I I think that you know going forward, yeah, great great going forward. Um, he's almost if you were playing you know four four two, he's the kind of guy that actually you could operate as a a, a wide right midfield player. But his his first role uh, in the team. Is a right back, which means also defending. I have never thought he could defend ever. I, I just think he's either too rash in the wrong position or just doesn't read the, the game and goes to sleep. And for me, he's been a liability in that position. I would think that Steven Gerrard's probably looked at that position and thought, yeah, that is that is a position that we need to find somebody. So if this was his last season. I would, you know, I would say, and a great many Rangers fans would probably say, "Well, thanks for your sterling service over the last couple of years, but your time's up." And you know, looking at it, and um, you know, uh, almost like in a sort of cold, neutral environment, I just think there are a great many people out there within the media, within media circles, who look at them and think, "You're a, you're a decent enough player." 
perform in a certain role. But ultimately, when it comes to your overall game, you just have to be good enough. Colin, it's an interesting point Stuart makes in touch way. <clears throat> I think personally that probably this is this is coming to the end for, for Tavernier as well. And I, I don't think he'll be the only one. I think Gerald will look at it this summer. You know, I think I think there'll be a few of them that will be considered. But the point I, I want to sort of make a look at is is it realistic for us to think that we can move on, you know, seven or eight players this summer? Because that seems to be the suggestion from a lot of people, and that's that's the that's the answer is getting a lot of players out the door and getting more players in. But you know, is that is that realistic? Uh, that's a difficult one. It depends. I mean, six seven weeks ago, we were, you know, we were talking about getting a hefty fee for Morelos. Uh, you would get a decent fee for Barisic. Even there was good money getting talked about for uh, Kamara as well. So if you get enough money in, because that's one of the areas that the club are looking to strengthen, that's why Ross Wilson's there, sorry. We're, we're trying to improve that side of uh, the club, you know, player sales, buy cheap, sell high. Celtic have been quite successful at it. You know, they've they managed to move uh, Tierney on in the summer there. So even when they don't qualify for the Champions League, they managed to get extra money in the door through a player sale. So that's something that maybe six, seven weeks ago, you'd be thinking, well, we could get decent money in. And that would help facilitate, you know, movement of maybe seven or eight. But given the way things have went, you know, you would maybe question the fees involved for some of the players now. If players are on decent contracts, do they want to move? You know, I mean, at the end of the day, if a player doesn't want to move, he doesn't want to move, and that's it. If, if a player's motivated purely by money rather than, you know, game time and all the rest, of it, the player could be quite entitled to say, well, I don't care if you want to sell me, I'm going to stay. So I, in terms of how many will move, time will tell. I think he needs to get rid of a, a core of sort of four or five that have maybe been there just a wee bit too long and it's not working out for them. Look, I, I, on the Tavernier thing, I don't want to go in too heavy on the boy, right? It, I mean, it's not all been bad from Tav. You know, his assists and, and going forward, I think he's contributed quite a lot. This season hasn't hasn't he, hasn't he been his season. Uh, defensively, I think the biggest thing for me when I'm defensively is his positioning. He just seems to get caught in the wrong side of people all the time. And, I mean, you used to get the odd free kick and all that out of him, but, you know, those are kind of going by the wayside as well. So it, it kind of feels like it's coming to the end for Tav. I've, I've view my Rangers captains in terms of how many trophies they help lead the team to, and he's struggling in that front. It's not all his fault. You know, Jenner's got to accept some responsibility, and other players have got to accept responsibility as well. At the end of the day, he's wearing the armband, so he is, you know, Gerard's voice on the part, so to speak. And I don't think he uses that voice effectively enough. So it feels to me that come the end of the season, uh, it might be the last one for Tav. But I'm kind of with Stuart. I've said this a couple of times with a couple of players. I've thought for the last two summers, Morelos would be away and he's still here. So you never know. Uh, but one thing I will say, whether Tav comes or goes, I don't know. One thing I don't think he should be next season is captain. I think we need to get two or three proper leaders in that, in that dressing room. Just on that on that point, Colin, um, I'll stay with you on this. You mentioned the fact that we we discussed, I think it was you and I had discussed in, in January the the price tag for, for Morelos. And you know, we were we were thinking, 
could be 20, could be 30 million. But now, and this has been something that's crossed my mind quite a lot since the turn of the year, what what is realistic and, and are we going to get a, a decent return if we if we do look to sell him in the summer? Given that his, his disciplinary record, etc., hasn't improved at the start of the season, maybe fallen off a wee bit now, um, he hasn't scored a goal, you know, this in the calendar year, I don't think, so far. Um, so what what's next for, for Morelos? I mean, well, time will tell. And in, in terms of the fee, uh, I mean, he still scored 29 goals this season. Uh, I mean, you could argue that the, the, the recent run of bad form and, you know, not scoring and there's been a wee sort of slip in terms of his disciplinary record as well. You could argue that that would give teams coming in from a bit of leverage on the fee and, and being able to work it down a wee bit. But I'll point to Tierney again. You know, I've played more games of football in the last two years than uh, than Tierney has. And I'm 47, fat, and can't walk the length of myself. So if, if Celtic can get £25 million for a left-back that's got glass for hips, then I'm sure we could get a decent fee for a player who's scoring 29 goals. And he still scored goals that... At, you know the, the European level and all the rest that he has proven that he can score at this level so we still we should still be able to command a decent fee from but on Morelos I just think I mean there was incident today that some people have sort of commented that there was nothing in it but I thought there was when he came off today I have never seen Stephen Gerrard not stand on a touchline waiting for a substitute coming off to sort of shake his hand and thank him for his efforts None of that today. Gerard made sure he was sitting on the bench when he came off. And no one acknowledged Morelos. So, and I thought Morelos today, there was a couple of points. We spoke about them before we came on, Ail David. There was one in the first half and Ryan Kent got put through on the sort of left-hand side. Now, he's through in goal. Now, Ryan Kent ended up making a, a total asset. Right? And I think the ball went out for a, for a bike kick or a throw-in or something like that. But for a split second, Kent's through. And you're looking for, well, who's in the middle? Who's, who's, who's there? And there was no one there. And then when the, the, the first player did arrive, it was Morelos. And he was jogging. He was jogging up to support Kent. And you're just like, well, no. And then there was one in the second half. As I said, David, we spoke about it earlier on. Someone played the ball to him. I think it was Barris that's played the ball to him. And his touch was absolutely horrific. And he just, everything about him, his body language, there's people are saying he looks overweight. I tend to agree with that now. He looks slow, sluggish. Uh, when he came out for the second half, he was the last man out, and it's just everything about him. His whole body language says to me that he doesn't want to be there. Now, he's had a lot to deal with. Uh, some of it he's brought upon himself. Some, some of it is, is through the media and, and how they've treated him, which has been quite shocking at times. So it's maybe just got to the point that he's done, and he doesn't want to be here anymore, which is maybe fair enough. However, again, what I expect as a supporter if you're if you're wearing that jersey, then you give me everything you've got for ninety minutes, and I think that's what Gerard's expecting as well. And I think looking at it, it looks to me like the relationship between manager and player is a, is a bit troubled at the moment. And I think that's why. I think Gerard thinks I've stood up for you when maybe at times I didn't really have a right to. I've given you, you know, the support and the the the, the platform to go out and play. I, I, I think he's encouraged them to move on and get a big move to go somewhere else. I think Gerard, when it comes to Morelos, has done pretty much everything he can. And I think he feels short-changed. I feel short-changed from him at the moment as a supporter because he just looks like he's not bothered. Now, folk can say, oh, well, he scored 29 goals, and I get that. But, you know, we've still got 10 weeks of the season to go. You know, you don't chuck it in January. 
you keep going. So I, I just think he's on a bit. We've had this discussion with him before. Uh, I think you'll win another one that'll be away in the summer, but time will tell. I think I think we, we, we touched upon this last week as well about uh, Morelos and you know and his relationship with Gerard and you know we said at the time Gerard's a guy that's going out on a limb to defend the player and basically take either a lot of flack on his behalf or um, return fire on his behalf and he was let down badly ahead of the Hearts game which ultimately made Gerard take the decision no you're not playing. What I would say is that since the turn of the year, and it's fine saying, well, you scored 29 goals and the likes, right at this minute in time, you are basing what Morelos is capable of entirely on memory. There is nothing there that suggests this guy can score goals or contribute. You're you're basing that on what on memory and what he did a couple of months back. And if if you or I are taking that into account, there will be coaches and managers and directors of football elsewhere around the country will be taking that into account as well. And for every week that goes by with him not scoring and not looking interested and his basically his face tripping him at just being selected by Steven Gerrard and by Rangers, that just his his price or asking price uh, or fee that Rangers might attract for him is depreciating week upon week upon week and honestly I think right at this minute in time if if you get any anything near 8 to 10 million for him take it, you've won a watch I was going to mention Stuart, obviously you, you'll have dealt with a lot of these sort of Speculation type stories over the years. I never speculated. I was always absolutely hundred percent right. To be fair, I said I said dealt with. Obviously, the ones <laughs> you wrote yourself, much like me, would have been spot on. Um, but how, how much truth from your experience? You know, you see a lot of speculation around players. How much truth is there usually in the interest, and how much is it? You know, agents stirring up a bit. Well, well, there's always there's always the agent side of things, and and to be honest, if if you have proper contact, you will know the guys that are actually being watched by certain people. You know the whole thing about oh, well, nobody nobody does any scouting in Scottish football these days is complete and utter bollocks for want of a better description. You know there are guys will be having games. Um, Analyzed by their video departments um, to break it down into the you know the good, the bad, and the ugly of, of of what a player contributes to the team. They will have had them watched live uh, in the flesh as well. But what I would say is, it's very easy to say, "Oh, this guy is worth X X number of pounds," and you get absolutely nothing nothing close to that. Um, and that's just typically Scottish football. And I know there have been maybe one or two exceptions to that, but basically the rule is if you want to, if, if you want to speculate on a figure, take a take anything between about three and five million off that, and that's usually what the actual transfer um the transfer fee was. You know, I'm thinking about Alan Hutton, oh he's a fifteen million pound player. Um when others were saying he was worth five million and then he went, you know, he left for something like 
nine million pounds. It's it's complete speculation, and even even guys that have come to Rangers, you know, uh, I, you know, I had the years ago had the exclusive about nine months before it happened about Tor Andre Flo coming to Rangers, and I said it would cost Rangers nine million. Ultimately, it cost Rangers twelve million. But everybody thinks, oh, I, you know what a waste of money and what a dud. Rangers still get seven million quid back when he went to Sunderland. So again, transfer fees and figures. The one I, I think that really amused me today was Barisic being, you know, valued, um, I think it was in Scotland on Sunday, at 22 million quid or something like that. I mean, in all seriousness, how cheap is alcohol in Edinburgh? If you think that Barisic is, somebody's going to get, pay 22 million quid for him, and, I, and I, I will say it just now, Andy Robertson cost Liverpool £10 million from Hull City and Liverpool had the chance to actually see that guy in action in the English Premiership, uh, in the English Premier League, in that kind of environment before they actually took a point on him and managed to get him for £10 million. The, the whole Barisic thing is a complete, you know, a complete kite flyer as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and you'd be lucky to get half that for him. But anyway, that's that's where we're at. And when it comes to you know the transfer game and speculation, um, and again we go back to Tavernier. How much is he worth? Last season or the season before, people were talking, "Oh, he's worth about six, seven million. Again, half that just now. In fact, Rangers might even take a lot less just to get him out of the books. Um, Colin, when you we, we've discussed a couple of a couple of players there that could leave this summer. When you look at the at the bigger picture, even from you know the current squad, if you were if you were looking at Rangers this time, you know, on the in August next year for the for the start of the league, which which players would you would you be quite happy to see in the in the team for the first game of next season? Oh God, uh, that's, a, <laughs> that's a tricky question, that one, Ross. Uh, 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 David, Ross, David sorry, ah, you've thrown me there. Uh, I'm just, just going to mute your mic and me and shoot the rest <laughs> of the, the podcast. Uh, who would I still like to see there? It, it really is. It's, it's difficult because there's, there's speculation about so many of them. Uh, I, I think in terms of the areas that we we need to strengthen, I think we need to look at the two centre-half positions. Uh, you could be looking... I mean, you asked earlier on if you know, it was feasible that eight, nine players will come and go. You know, if both their fullbacks are going, which has been sort of speculated, and we're looking for two new centre-halves, and you're looking for an entire back four straight away. So, in terms of players that I think could still be there next season, based on performances this year, I think Ryan Jack is, is an obvious one. Uh, I think Kent will still be there. You know, they've taken a big uh, punt on him with the, with the, the, the fee. I think Scott Arfield will probably still offer something, even if it's from a squad perspective. In terms of the others, you know, I would have said Davis a couple of months ago, but his standards have, have dripped, dripped, uh, dripped, dropped, sorry, dramatically. So, I, honestly, I, I, I genuinely am struggling with that, David. So, I'd. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we need a spine, I think. We need we need a, a solid centre half pair, and I think we're not too bad with the likes of Ryan Jack and that in the middle of the park. And we need another top striker. And then, to me, if any team's got a spine, you can you can build around that. You know, what I mean, as long as you've got guys in there that, when the chips are down a wee bit, we're not going to lose games. You know, then 
you, you've always got the chance of winning it if you've got a, a core of five or six. I always felt that when, when Rangers last won the treble in 2003, my argument was we done that with a five-a-side team. We've done it with uh, Kloss, De Boer, Craig Moore, uh, Amaruso, and Barry Ferguson. Those those were the five guys that sort of made that team. Whoever filled the other positions, you know, sometimes at the Wolvencrans on the left, sometimes it'd be Neil McCann, you'd sometimes have shot Avalazzi up front, sometimes it'd be Stevie Thompson. You know, other positions were up for grabs, but those five guys were the guys that, 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 that won it that season. So a, a, a solid spine in the team makes all the difference in my opinion. And and probably possibly five captains. There's that as well. Five leaders, you know what I mean? Five guys that know how to get teams over the line. Uh, and that's something we don't have. I think we have a team that, I mean, Tavernier's comments in the programme sort of sum it up, you know what I mean? And Kent made comments last week as well about his, you know, we like it when we're the underdogs. Well, that's not really a luxury you get at Rangers unless you're going into a European environment against one of the big guns. You know, the, the standards here and the expectations here are maybe unrealistic, but they are what they are. And as a player, you need to deal with them. I'm interested to know, Colin, just, just on the sort of looking ahead, what are your thoughts on, on Hadji in terms of uh, an investment for next season? Because I think there's been a few fees quoted for a five million. Do you think that that he, albeit it's been a it's been a short time he's been with us, but do you see him as being a part of the the plans going forward, especially for they sort of, you know, that sort of price? It, again, it depends on the price. I mean, spoke a couple of weeks about a week ago, sorry, about Ryan Kent, you know, and I always felt the seven million was a wee bit over over the odds for him. Hadji is it's a bit a strange one to me. You know, in the European games, he's it's maybe a, a, an arena that suits him a wee bit more time and space and the ball's on the ground and it's no blowing a gale and all the rest of it. But I still feel at times during games, domestically, especially at Ibrox, he could be doing a wee bit more. So I'm kind of... I'm going to sit in the fence with Hazzy. At, at this present moment in time, if you were to ask me, could, should we offer him a deal uh, for next season? I would be thinking, you know what? Let's just see how he performs from here till the end of the season. It's up to him. If he wants to come here, he's got to, to earn the right. I would say at this particular moment in time, he's not quite done that for me. Um, Stuart, over the past week, certainly since the since the Hearts game and then the Hamilton game, we've seen the, the tide sort of turn completely for, for Gerard, especially in the press. Do you see him? I think I think a, a lot of Rangers fans are still are still behind him. Do you think he will stay beyond the end of the season? And do you think he's the right man for the club? Going back to what he said last week after the Hearts game, he's obviously disappointed. But the more you can scrutinise what he actually said, the more you can maybe read into it that it might not have actually been so much about himself that he was, you know, what he was contemplating and might have been about what plans he had for the team going forward. I know he was disillusioned. I know he was, you know, fed up with the performance. But it might, you could always read into it that what he was actually saying was that he had big decisions to make going forward. I don't see him. I don't see him being the kind of guy that would that would necessarily just chuck it to you know because it had you know a season, a second season where he hadn't achieved. Um, the other thing I, I would say is, and I, I know that 
being a manager isn't based on being um, or, or a celebrity or your celebrity status, but if Rangers were to rid themselves of Steven Gerrard or Steven Gerrard was to go, who then would Rangers look to? I still think Rangers are in a stronger position and a better position with somebody like Steven Gerrard at the helm and Gary McAllister is his number two than going out again and suddenly going through around the marketplace to see who's standing at a, you know, outside the job centre with a P45, because ultimately that's where you would be trying to pick up your next manager from. So I've, I've never been one that's subscribed to the this uh, reasoning that if Steven Gerrard has an unsuccessful season, then you get shot of him. I think he's somebody that Rangers should be looking to stick with long term, simply because I think he offers more as a, a, a young manager and a, a you know and a Rangers manager who has a great deal of potential than some of the other candidates that would be mentioned with the Rangers job if he trotted back down to Merseyside. Colin, you're you're a you're a Liverpool fan. Do you think we could take a bit of uh, you know a, a page out of their book in terms of you know Klopp and how he started there, and then obviously what they've managed to get is it about persevering with the manager and, and, and giving him the full backing because certainly at Rangers it's difficult to do that because the expectations are, are such that you know you expect to win every game or expected to, to success domestic and in Europe really, which given the money that we spend especially domestically it shouldn't be out the realms of possibility. But do you see? Sticking with Gerard and giving him all the backing that he that he needs, both as a support and and as from the club's point of view in terms of the players that he wants, etc., will will bear fruit. Well, I think there's there's one main issue uh, surrounding Gerard that I think people need to cut him some slack with. Now, I'm not saying he's perfect. Absolutely not. I, I think it, he needs to have a period of reflection, shall we say, and and ask if he's maybe got something some things right and some things wrong. I think. When it comes to during the game, you know, sometimes these substitutions are questionable and there's, there's this accusation that, you know, he's too rigid in his system and all that. And I get that. Uh, but, but but overall, I think the, the direction of traffic under Steven Gerrard is going in the right way. And it's, it's aided the overall recovery of the club. And that's the point, I think, that supporters need to, need to try and remember in this. We are not coming from a position of, well, we've been neck and neck with Celtic for the last six, seven, eight, nine years. It's not been that. You know, the events of 2012 were catastrophic in terms of the club's finances and where we were coming from. And we have to recover as a football club before we're really in a position to to, to really challenge Celtic. And I think Gerard has done pretty well in that respect overall. You know, when we beat them on the 29th, that's the closest we've been to them in a number of years. However, there's a really good piece in Independent three, four weeks ago about what capitalism is doing to football, you know, all this big money and all the rest of it. And essentially what it's doing is all the big leagues in the world, you know, in France, it's PSG, in England, and now it's Liverpool. The only other team that's in me a shout down there is Man City. In Spain, it's just a toss of a coin between Barcelona and Real Madrid. In Germany, it's Bayern Munich. It's the same clubs winning the same tournaments time and time and time and time again. And that's happening here. And it's not just about transfer fees, it's about net spend in terms of what clubs spend on wages. If your club spends more on wages, then the chances are your club will be the most successful club in that league. And Celtic spend far more on wages than we do. Uh, they're, they're, they're more effective in their transfer business. You know, they, they, 
they get a lot of money in for uh, player sales and all the rest of it, which helps supplement that. But that's what we as a club are up against, and that's what Gerard is up against. He's not coming at Celtic from a, a, an even keel. He's coming at Celtic from a position of, well, the club's been on the floor on its knees and we're trying to get it back up in a position that we can start swinging at them again. So that's why I think we should stick with Gerard because I just don't see what sacking him would do. You know, I think what he's achieved in Europe has helped and increased the turnover and has helped get the money back in. And that might help in terms of getting better players. And, you know, in terms of the coefficient, I don't think it's it next season. If we finish second, we might get a crack at the Champions League. So, you know, if, we, if that can happen, we get into the Champions League, you know, again, it all helps the overall recovery of the club. And there's still some stuff going off the field with the kit stuff and all the rest of it. And all this stuff has a say. So we are not fighting Celtic on an even keel. And, and that's what Gerrard's up against. And that's what all the Rangers managers have been up against since the events of 2012. You know, we're not coming at it uh, from an area where we're on an even keel with Celtic. In terms of, I think the Liverpool analogy is a good one because, you know, Liverpool are on the cusp of something really special. You know, they won the Champions League last year. Uh, they've won the, the, the Club World Cup. They've won the Super Cup. They're about to win the Premier League. They might win the Champions League again this year. You know, but it took Klopp five years to get that. You know, every year he would start with his team and slowly identify what areas he needed to strengthen. And he'd done it in a way where he didn't looking at it from an outsider's point of view anyway, where players didn't feel they were getting hung out to dry and all the rest of it. And it's got them to this point. So I think we need to stick with Gerard till at least, you know, I would give him till at least the end of his initial contract. I know he signed an extension, but I think his initial contract was 2021, 2022, something like that. I think we need to see this out, stick with him and see what it gets us. And if we, we end up with nothing, then... We, we, we start again. It's not been a total waste because the European stuff has helped recover the club in a, in a financial sense. I just don't see what... I agree with sure. I mean, who else is going to come in? Who else are you going to go for? I, I just don't see it. I think we, we give Gerard uh, the confidence and, and the belief to go out and do it again, identify his mistakes and strengthen the team again and, and see where they go because... There's evidence out there, Alex Ferguson at Man United, Klopp at Liverpool, that if you stick with managers after four or five years, they get it right. So, going away from domestic football, Stuart, we take on Bayer Leverkusen this, this Thursday. Um, I hadn't, I hadn't noticed. This, <laughs> do you think this will be the, the most difficult tie of the Europa League campaign so far? Um. In some in some respects, I, I I don't know if it's any more difficult than than Braga. I, I, you know, I think I think the fact that Rangers have got past Braga and there's people looking at it and thinking, well, actually, if Rangers did a number on Braga, then maybe Braga weren't that good, and you'll find Bayer Leverkusen um, being a lot better. I, you know, I think I actually might be doing a disservice to uh, to Braga. And you know, let's not kid ourselves. They played Rangers off the pitch for the best part of an hour in the uh, in the in the first leg. Uh, European games are, you know, entirely different in a different kind of atmosphere and played in a different way to the domestic game, and it it will be a difficult tie for Rangers. Uh, but I'll, I'll go back to Rangers reaching the UEFA Cup final. 
Um, you know, when Rangers played their first knockout tie against Panathinaikos, um, it was right. Okay, Rangers are through this tie. That was that was a tough one, but they made it through. And now they're playing Werder Bremen, and that'll be a really really tough one. And through, you know, a, a big performance at Ibrox and a and a real you know a, a really hard fought performance in Germany. Rangers won that tie as well. When be honest, the odds were against them doing that because Werder Bremen were a, a very very good team at that point in time. And you take it, you do take it one tie at a time. It's it's you know I, I don't think anybody really saw Rangers being this far into the into the tournament. Um, if you're absolutely being honest about it, especially go back to last you know go back to July when the actual tournament started. A tie at a time. They've managed to get past Braga. They need two monumentally good performances, you know, taking their chances and being sound defensively. They're going to even just have any chance against uh, Bayer Leverkusen, even just to survive the the, the first game. But you're still in with a a puncher's chance. And and to be absolutely honest, in European terms and in the, 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 the context of this season, this is still a free hit for Rangers. This wasn't expected. They were supposed to do better domestically, but this is still a free hit for Rangers, and they might as well go for it. They might as well go for broke. But they, uh, when I say that, they still need to have their wits about them if they're going to have any chance. But can it be done? Yeah, it can be done. We've seen it. We've seen it historically. We've seen it in the past. Colin, is a, a game you're looking forward to just to get away from from the domestic scene? Yeah, I think Rangers are doing their best to try, try and ruin the whole thing for me, to be honest with you, David. It's, I'm looking forward to it. I'll be there. Once I'm there and the atmosphere kicks in, uh, you know, you, you get into it. At the moment, I'm a wee bit fearful because just how the whole thing is at Rangers at the moment. There's just this sort of lack of confidence, as I was talking about earlier on. But, I mean, once you're there, once the Thursday comes, once I finish work and once you start people in the, seeing people in the city centre and you know, the whole thing starts to build up and you start to look forward to it. And it'll be another big night. I think we can do it. I, I really do. I, I agree with Stuart. You know, we've, we've beaten a lot of teams so far in our European adventures under Gerard that suggest that if the players turn up, uh, we, we can get a result. So, aye, looking forward to it. I'm, all, I'm also sort of, you know, we've got the big game next week as well. I'm a wee bit more fearful of that. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of feared that Celtic get the first goal next Sunday in it. The crowd might turn and it could go a bit pear-shaped, but we shall see. Yes, I think it's best just to just take it one game at a time, I think. Uh, <laughs> and just focus on the... One, one on the minute game. at a time, David. One minute yeah, at a time. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I hadn't, I hadn't actually given any consideration to the Celtic game. I think that's probably for the best at the moment. And uh, we'll see if we can get past... Um, the Germans. First on, on Thursday, but listen, that's that's just about all we've got time for tonight. So thanks to thanks to the lads for for joining me, and and hopefully um, we have another positive result to to shout about on on Thursday. Thanks again. Cheers. <laughs>